Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Badham. And in today's HR Chat, we're going to talk about how to source and secure top talent in a very, very competitive market. My awesome, super famous guest today is Shali Sterkel, president at the Sourcing Institute and practice director, talent strategy and sourcing innovation at Aspirant Talent Strategy and Acquisition Practice. He's a globally recognized recruiting leader who has helped build sourcing organizations for companies such as Microsoft, Google, Cisco, and Motorola. He's a writer, a public speaker, and many, many other things as well. Um, And by the way, he's known as the godfather of sourcing. What a title. And uh, he's dedicated much of his adult life to teaching his sourcing methods to those who want to be better. And uh, and that's pretty much what we're going to be doing in this interview today, hopefully, sharing some of your knowledge to to help recruiters and talent professionals and, and, and folk in HR get better at sourcing and, and hiring folk. Um, so beyond my wee introduction there, Shali, why don't you start by taking a minute and introducing yourself? Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for that introduction. Um, okay. So I've been in the business of finding talent for hard to fill positions for about 25 years now. Started out in agency recruiting and really just kind of developed a, a taste for the the hunt, the the thrill of the initial part of the process, finding people and, and engaging with people. And so, and I got really good at that and I got really good at teaching it and just took off from there, developed a, a career finding hard to find talent and t- teaching other people how to do the same thing. That's that's kind of where the, <laughs> the godfather of sourcing um, comes from. There wasn't anybody really doing this, you know, 25 years ago as a full-time job. It was something that recruiters did as part of their regular workflow. They, they would find people and recruit them. And, uh, you know, I really was a pioneer in, in making the identification of talent its own separate job function. And now I work at a management consulting firm called Aspirant. I was reading about you ahead of our interview today. I think I've read that for a couple of hundred bucks of uh, gas money to get down to see your mom in Florida. You, you had some competition with a couple of couple of uh, my compatriots, a couple of Brits, and, and they, they owned a uh, a, a, a talent acquisition business and that's how you got into it at the very start is that right yeah pretty much it was um about, pretty close to that but they were the owners of a branch of a larger staffing firm that had 37 or sorry no 30 32 locations um and they owned the atlanta one they were the i guess the franchise owners for the branch here and that's right they we met at shooting pool and started talking and they invited me to come in. The, the, the owner invited me to come in. His name is Steve Whiting to come into the office and talk about the position on Monday. I went in on Monday and we talked a little bit and he said, you know what, let's give this a try. It was, you know, back then it was commission only. And so I basically started right then and there. Blue Ivy Group is a global leader in employer branding, organizational culture, and recruitment marketing. We help organizations across the private, public, and not-for-profit sectors build extraordinary employee experiences, magnetic employer brands, and high-performance cultures. To find out more how we can help you, visit our website at blueivygroup.com.
Awesome. Steve, if you're listening to the show today, hello. Um, look, look, look at your legacy here with Shaddy. What about that? Um, so <laughs> let, let, let's I get into the meeting. I hope he's well feeling retired somewhere by now. I mean, this was 25 <laughs> years ago. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know, right? It could be other. That's true. That's but, true. Um, I hope you're doing well, <laughs> Steve, if you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's crazy times right now, Shelley. Oh, my goodness me. Um, and uh, I was joking with you before before we uh, got going today that I tried not to use the term great resignation within uh, within the interview here. Well, I've just said it now, haven't I? Um, we're, we're living through crazy times. Maybe you can paint a bit of a picture of what the labor market looks like at the moment. Man, uh, I wish I could paint a masterpiece of a picture. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it's things are crazy. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of desperation in the market. P companies desperate to hire. Uh, people, you know, candidates looking for um, opportunities that, that are going to help them, you know, reenter the job market in some cases and in other cases just – looking for an opportunity that's going to be less stressful because people have been, you know, those of us that have been lucky to have been working through this, this whole pandemic, many of us are, are overworked and burnt out. So there's a lot of musical chairs, as they say, people moving around and um, a lot of noise and, and activity in the market. So I guess if I could paint a picture, it's, it would probably be more like a, like a, like a Jackson Pollock, you know, a big splash of color everywhere. There's there's very little organiza organization or pattern to it. What I would say is that right now is really not the best time to switch jobs if you don't have to, because companies are in in chaos and there's a lot of desperation. So if, if you were going to switch jobs now, you would you would need to go for a position that was the right job, not just jump for the money. I know money's important, but if you jump for the money, that company may not be in the same situation a year from now when things kind of calm down a little bit and you may be in a bad situation because you made the move for that. So make the move for the right for the right thing, right? The right decision. Now, money certainly should be part of it, but it also should be a company that you believe in and it's not just, you know, oh, I'm going to go make much more money over here alone. And likewise for organizations that are hiring, I would say turning that around, I would say don't just offer money at people. Make sure that it's a really good match because if you just hire someone, you know, if you make an offer that, that they can't refuse and you throw a bunch of money at them, are you really going to be able to afford that person in two years? Is, is this a good business decision, right? Don't just throw money at the problem. Um, so that's part of what's kind of creating the, the, the noise. And really all this comes from, from the fact that everybody opened all their requirements all at the same time. You know, we had this pent up demand for a year or even longer, a year and a half where companies weren't hiring. And now all of a sudden the hiring managers are, are hungry and they've had to put up with not having anybody to do the job. So all the openings are open all at once. And if you look at the economic situation, any, any basic econ 101 class would tell you that if there's a lot of demand, it's going to just, you know, make, make havoc out of the market. So all the positions opening all at the same time has made a big mess out of, what's really a fair market value for somebody's uh, talent. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of made, it, it's thrown the formula out the window in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's crazy times. It's super tough to find uh, the, the, the best talent as well. I think at the moment. Um, 
So what, what's working when it comes to sourcing talent then, Charlie? What, what, what technology is helping recruiters and employers reach the top talent? I've had conversations, just to put a bit more context to this, I've had conversations with uh, with uh, various recruiters on this show recently, and they've said, job boards don't work anymore, Bill. Um, so we're having to try and reinvent the wheel, but we don't quite know what we're doing right now. So, But you're the expert. You're the godfather. So what, what is working? You know, I, I think... It's, that's a really fair question. What's working is engagement, communication. So wherever you go, whether it's a job board or LinkedIn, or it doesn't matter what the source is, different sources work for different jobs and different times. And that's always going to vary. It's, there's never a formula for what, what one website to go to, right? That's part of the job of the recruiter and the sourcers to determine where to go right now and where to find good people right now, but the engagement has changed. Candidates are no longer interested in hearing canned rhetoric. They want the full story. They want transparency. They want to talk to somebody. They want to be, be spoken to in, a, in an intelligent way rather than um, just kind of, hey, here's a job, apply now, right? So it, it's kind of like what I was saying before. It's, it's no longer just, uh, you know, click and apply and it's more money, it, now candidates want to know a little bit more about the organization, the culture. They'd like to hear from a real person. They don't want to hear from, you know, robots. They don't want to get spam. And th that that's changed quite a bit. So I'd say transparency in the process, more than transparency, um, kind of like a raw realism, you know, like how how it really is is much more important than, than sort of the, the, the coat of paint that we used to give things. You know what I mean? You go way back and I go way back as a recruiter. You know, we used to always paint a really good picture of our client and, and represent them in the best possible light. That doesn't quite work as much anymore. Candidates have more information and they ask very smart questions and they're doing their research and they're responding to your email because they're interested in your company. So if you sort of give them that, that standard PR rhetoric, uh, that turns them off. So I think being authentic and legitimate and, and really um, forthright with information is going a long way. Okay, so I'm 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 a millennial, just um, so I'm, I'm you know I I, I get the importance of uh, of uh, the, the work that part of the workforce and and the Gen Zers who are coming through as well now needing that level of authenticity and and feeling like they they can connect with an employer brand but at the same time and i'm just playing devil's advocate here ultimately is, is, it, is it not all just about the money it's not all about money i mean money paint you know money is definitely an important factor of any work you're not going to work for free and you should be working and doing a job that you are good at and get paid for it right so obviously it's it's not it's not that money isn't the issue but there's more to it these days right so people are looking for for example, um, some folks, I, I talk to candidates that, that are not happy where they are because they've been really overworked and abused by their employer because the employer was almost kind of had the upper hand. Like, hey, you can't leave right now because the labor market is, is no good. This is before the, you know, the recovery started. So in the middle of the pandemic, people were almost kind of held captive in their jobs. Like it's not, it wasn't a good time to leave because there wasn't a lot of jobs. So you know, and I'm not saying all employers, but some employers, maybe intentionally or not, took advantage of that. And so people feel like they've been working a lot harder than they ever did before. And they're not getting paid what they're, what they're used to getting paid. Because if you look at it on a, you know, my salary is the same, but I'm working twice as hard, twice as many hours. 
well, that makes that means I'm actually earning less, right? So sometimes it's not about the, the, the money when, when somebody makes a move. It's a quality of life thing. They may be making the same amount at this new company, but it's a company that isn't going to overwork them where they're going to be paid fairly for the time that they do, where there's work-life balance. You'll hear things like that. Candidates are asking, what about the work-life balance? I, I want to work in a place that respects my family time and you know those kinds of things. You're hearing about companies that are moving to a four-hour work week, companies that are offering flexible hours and even telecommuting um, much more frequently than, than before. So these are all lifestyle changes. And it, sure, you, you want an increase. I, I would want an increase if I switch jobs too, but it's not just the increase. What I'm saying is it's the increase and it's the quality of life and it's working for a company that I want to be working for. It's the whole package. Would you, would you say then that uh, pre-COVID, um, employee benefits, working from home, um, maybe assistance when it comes to childcare, these things are all nice to have, but then then we all got used to them when we were working from home. Um, uh, and, and people were just not prepared to, to go back to the, to, to the old days. These are, now, these, are, these, yeah. are, these are musts. Now you know, you might recall in the time before the pandemic, there was like a, like a, a shrinking of working from home People in the Bay Area, leaders in the Bay Area were saying, oh, we're not going to allow our, our people to work from home. Everybody needs to come to the office. And there's almost like this resurgence of going back to the office. And then the pandemic hit and companies were forced to reevaluate that and, and allow people to work from home. So we were almost going the opposite direction in allowing less work from home until the pandemic. Now companies are returning to work in, in you know, uh, making it so that the jobs have to be from work, but at the same time, they're offering flexible hours or the option for some some work from home here and there. Or as I mentioned, I've seen a lot of companies offering four-day work weeks, um, those kinds of things. So that's a, that's the, the answer to that work-life balance and that flexibility, which is being considered um, as as part of the benefits package, right? So yeah, you're right. Health insurance and um, you know, the other, the other parts of the benefits package were, were almost table stakes. Everybody had to have them. Now what distinguishes you isn't that you have great healthcare or, you know, that you have a 401k, but that you have these other, these other things like career progression and, um, ability to work different hours and, and, and so on. So that's become now more like the benefits that attract people. And also something that I'm finding a lot, candidates asking about what causes the company supports. So what is what does the company do to give back or engage with the community? That's also becoming something that they ask for. Now they may not determine whether or not they want to work here or not based on that, but they're asking about it much more, which means they're they're basing some of their decision on that information as well. Okay. Um what about the wider talent pool, the global talent pool? There's so much discussion. Uh, in the depths of COVID about one of the silver linings of, of the pandemic was companies were, um, were, were forced to, to look further afield and, and, and outsource and, and, and find talent in, in, in new territories. Are you still seeing that that's the case now? Is, is that now common business practice or actually, even though companies aren't insisting that people physically come back to the office, they do still want folk in the same time zone or within a few time zones from them? It's definitely shrank the world, right? The world is getting smaller and people are moving to um, 
less populated areas for quality of life and cost of living and working remotely. But like you said, there are companies that still need people that, that come to the factory and come to the facility. There's always going to be jobs that you need to do in person. However, on those other jobs where there's flexibility, the, the remote workforce, the definition of a remote workforce has definitely become more international. The challenge there is that there are still very real financial, regulatory, and, and, and other uh, operational complications when you employ people in other countries. So if you're a company that's only done business in the U.S., or let's say specifically only in the state of Texas, you're only familiar with, with the laws and taxes and regulations of Texas. If you're now opening your, your, your opportunities, your jobs for people that work in other countries, you'll have to set up in some cases local offices in that country or have local representation because you know it's not just a matter of, hey, I'm going to hire someone in Canada. I'm going to hire someone in um, in the Philippines, I'm going to hire someone in, in Colombia, South America. There's laws in those countries for employment. So you still have to have that operational uh, acumen. And, and there may be some other operational requirements. Like in some countries, physically having a location there is a requirement. So it is shrinking the world, but it is also making companies a little bit more internationally savvy. I think international business in general is, is what's growing but it's not just an easy answer of, oh, I'm going to go hire somebody in you know, the Philippines and just put them on the payroll. No, there's, there's a lot that needs to go into that from HR regulations and corporate regulations, both here and in the foreign countries as well. So don't forget about that part. What, what other sourcing techniques are paying off at the moment for recruiters? Um, so we, we spoke a bit about how job boards aren't really super effective at the moment. What about just getting old school, getting on the phone, texting people, you know, th those sorts of practices? Do, do they even still work anymore? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Email still works. Texting works. Getting on the phone works. People are uh, um, choosing where they communicate. So if you call them, they may text you back. If you text them, they might call you back. You know, so there's more um, how should I say there's, there's more cross pollination. So it's a really good idea if you're doing outreach to do it, to, to send a message out via email and text and social uh, and make the call because you're then giving that person the option to respond in some way that, that they're more comfortable with. We still have a lot of folks that we text and they call us back or we call and they text us back that that happens. But that's really not sourcing because that's now the, the engagement piece of the, the outreach, right? I think what you're asking is what are the sourcing techniques that are paying off when it comes to finding hard to find candidate? Because one of the things you'll hear a lot is, oh, the internet's made it so that it's easier to find people. Well, yes, but also no. Sure, it's easier to find people because there's more people online. But the problem is it's now more difficult to find the right people. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of noise in the marketplace. So Sure, you can find hundreds of thousands of people that have the qualification, but how do you select which ones to reach out to? So I think part of what's, what's changing with sourcing is getting better at narrowing down the choices, finding the right sources based on you know, microcosms, micro communities. It used to be software engineers went to GitHub. Well, now software engineers have hundreds of code repositories that they use, and they don't all go to GitHub. They don't all go to LinkedIn. They don't all go to Twitter. So part of what's paying off in sourcing is identifying where your target community actually exists and where do they participate? Where the people that you want to find, where are they active online? And so sourcing is not just 
finding the people. It's finding where the people are, what they want to hear about. It's more competitive intelligence. And for that reason, things like natural language and deep web sourcing techniques are much, much more important now than ever before. It used to be a considered advantage, right? If you knew how to do deep web sourcing and natural language searching, it was an advantage. But I think now more and more so it's becoming a necessity more, more than an advantage. Okay, so let, let's continue talking about the, the engagement stage, uh, if, you, if you don't mind, for, for a moment. Um, and in fact, all the way through to, here's the scenario, the, the sourcing person has done their job, uh, the recruiter has brought uh, an awesome candidate up in front of a hiring manager, they've gone through uh, the initial interview stage, they're, they're at the, maybe the second or third interview stage. How, how can hiring managers, Shally, in your opinion, mess it up, basically, at that stage? What, what pitfalls do they need to avoid to make sure that they get the candidate over the proverbial line? Yeah, um, I see this quite a bit, actually. So there's always the risk that the hiring manager gets over eager and they, they almost switch to, they put their sales hat on and they're, and they're selling the opportunity to the candidate and they forget to ask the questions and, and make the, you know, and, and, and give the information that the candidate wants to hear. What the candidate, what happens when, with, when that, occurs is the candidate then gets the sense that the company is desperate, which actually turns them off for that company. So in other words, um, the, the risk is, as you said, where, where hiring managers can mess it up is by being too pushy, over eager, over salesy on the opportunity, which then sends the wrong message. Now they think they're being, the hiring managers think, you know, well, this is really a tough market. We need to get really, uh, you know, we need to really keep the candidates happy, but too much of that, and the candidates start questioning, why is this happening? It didn't used to happen before, so what's going on? That's a pitfall. Um, and, and another pitfall, I think, is just assuming that the hiring managers that assume that the candidate wants the job and are just going to go through the motions. And, and I know those are almost two opposites, but I, but I get that from hiring managers quite a bit. On the one hand, overselling, which turns the candidate off, and on the other hand, Essentially, um, treating what would normally be considered a passive or semi-passive candidate as, as an applicant, almost like, well, uh, the, assuming that they want to work here. And so they just treat them like any other applicant and forget to, again, talk a little bit about what the candidate needs and answer their questions and so on. So if you notice, both of these problems come from the same place. Both of them is hiring managers not listening to the candidate. They're not listening and they're overselling or they're not listening and they're just sort of going through the motions. But what they should be doing is asking questions about what the candidate wants. What's their career progression objective? Do they want what kind of environment, what kind of work? Asking those questions of the candidate is going to engage them much more than selling them hard or than you know, making them uh, push for the job. Right. So it's it's kind of on both ends, if that makes sense. It certainly does. Hey, listen, Charlie, we could do this um, all day for my end. Anyway, I'm enjoying this. However, uh, we're almost out of time. So before we wrap up, uh, how can our listeners learn more about you and, and all the cool things that you get up to? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Well, um, so if you go to srcn.co forward slash me, that's S as in Shally, R as in recruiter, C as in company and as in nancy.co not.com and then forward slash me that will take you to a landing page that i have where i've got 
links to my Facebook and LinkedIn and email address. It's probably the best place to go because that'll point you to both my work and personal networks if you want to reach out that way. And, um, you know, just if you Google Shally Steckerl, S-T-E-C-K-E-R-L, I'm sure you'll find lots of ways to reach out. So please reach out and I'm happy to answer any questions about, about sourcing that you might have. Absolutely. Listeners, you don't need any deep web techniques when it comes to finding more information about Shally. He's all over the web, uh, as I found when I was doing my homework on him earlier today. Shally, that just leaves me to say for today, sir, you're an absolute superstar. You really know your stuff. Um, You're quite patient with me before we hit record today as well. So thank you for that. Um, And thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thanks, Bill. No, it was great. Appreciate it. I love the show. So maybe I'll be back as as a guest another time. 100%. 100%. I will be following up with you on that, sir. Um, <laughs> but uh, for, for now, listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette. 